Hello, and welcome to On a Mission Podcast, where we aim to inspire and educate through sharing stories and experiences in the real estate industry. It's hosted by Dina Frank, a licensed realtor in the state of Minnesota at Remax Results, a Good Life Group, and Kelly Tanky, loan originator, NMLS 1599804 at Summit Mortgage Corporation, NMLS 1041. We started this podcast so we could share real stories from real people on their experiences in the real estate industry and break down barriers. We hope that by sharing these stories and experiences, it helps you feel more confident and comfortable when it comes to buying or selling. If you find this information helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and as always, enjoy! And now, let's get to this week's episode. And today we have another very special guest. We love the special guest episodes. I think they're my favorite. And uh, Kelly's going to take over and do an introduction and a little bio. All right, here we go. I'm so excited to introduce this amazing powerhouse woman, Whitney Emanuel with Strategic Visionaries. Whitney Emanuel has been a financial advisor for eight years. She began at Ameriprise Financial and branched off on her own to start Strategic Visionaries in 2016. She took, she took an even bigger leap at the beginning of 2019 to leave the big box financial world to go completely independent. Whoop! <laughs> <laughs> she holds her, I'm going to try to say this right, FINRA Series 7, 63, 65, and state insurance licenses and her CRPC certification. That sounds pretty... Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Winnie works with out-of-the-box thinkers, creatives, entertainers, entrepreneurs, and small business owners to implement on the vision of their lives by recreating money stories. She believes money is simply the means to your end and creates strategies to customize her clients' benefit plans, children's education funding, investment, estate, and savings plans, aligned with their values. As a single working parent with her own business, she understands the challenges and customizes solutions for her hardworking clients, many of whom are caretakers themselves. Whitney is passionate about organizing and attending community events to make connections and enrich lives. She resides in Minneapolis with her five-year-old daughter, Zuri, how do you say it? Zuri Sedai. Zuri Sedai. <laughs> and their five-year-old Great Dane Mastiff. Anaba. Anaba. <laughs> Welcome to On a Mission, Whitney Emanuel. We are so happy to have you. Thank you. What a great bio and such an amazing feat to do all of those things in such a short period of time. I am like mind blown. You know that emoji? Like yes. the mind blown emoji. That's yes. me right now. So... <laughs> Um, I'm going to let Dina take it over from here. Yeah, so as everybody knows, we like to start our show with some rapid-fire questions to get to know the guest a little bit. So are you excited? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So where did you grow up slash where are you from? So I was born in Massachusetts. Okay. However, I moved here when I was young, and I was raised in South Minneapolis, South Side. Nice. Um, <laughs> with my family. 
Love it. Awesome. So did you, what high school did you graduate from? Southwest Minneapolis. Yeah. I didn't live in Southwest. I lived over near South and Roosevelt, but I went to Southwest. Okay. Awesome. What would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Oh my Lord Jesus. Um, Raising my daughter is probably my biggest accomplishment. (laughs) I mean. She's so amazing. She's the best. She is adorable. Like her personality is just the best. So no, she's, she's awesome. And, uh, she's, it's honestly such learning raising a child because she's a lot like me, but, but then there are things that are not like me. Like for example, she's very cautious and kind of afraid and worst case scenario thinker. And I am the opposite. I'm super adventurous. I do not think worst case. I always think best case. So it's like a rub, but it's a really good learning for me because I just have to let her be and let her yeah. grow on her own terms. And that's been really r- a great learning opportunity for me. Yeah. And seeing things probably from her perspective and saying like, oh yeah. my gosh, like I would have never thought that way. Yeah. Or thought about that. Yeah. So. Awesome. So since you grew up in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. this is probably going to be a Minneapolis spot. But what's your it's favorite true. Minneapolis slash St. Paul spot? Minnehaha Falls. Yeah. The best. Oh, yeah. I do love that spot, too. And what's your favorite food? So if I'm being good, it's the healing plate at uh, French Meadow. But it's so good. Have you ever had it? It's is like marinated. With, like, no. It, well, maybe. But it's like brown rice, marinated tempeh, butternut squash, steamed spinach, balsamic glaze. It's amazing. That sounds really I'm good. a big foodie and I'm a health nut. However, mac and cheese is like where it's at. My homemade <laughs> yeah. baked mac and cheese. But I don't really eat dairy. So oh, or gluten. That's tough. Yeah. So I'm like, have I you, guess I'll go with the healing plate. Have you tried the bonza pasta yet? I have. It's like chickpea. It's good. Yeah. It's pretty Everybody good. Everybody says it's like the most like regular pasta. Yeah, and it's full of protein. So, yeah. And I'm a huge health nut. So yeah. that's why I have to give two answers. That's fair. <laughs> I love it. I'm a huge mac and cheese fan too. So. It's so good. You can't go wrong. I know. Like, and I think growing up in Minnesota when it's cold half the year, you need that like warm, comforting food. Yes. You know, it makes my heart a little sad that you don't eat dairy because dairy is like my thing <laughs> growing up in Wisconsin, you know, kind of a cheese head. So I, I don't, I think I'd have a very hard time giving up any sort of dairy or cheese products. I'm not for full. 30 days, yeah. I'm not like full. It. Yeah. Cause you did the whole 30, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So I would never, I don't do full fledged, never dairy ever, but it's very seldom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and my friend who's a personal trainer said that dairy makes you snore more. It, it like has all these effects, negative effects. I saw a so quote. It's hard to ignore. Yeah. I saw a quote yesterday that somebody, it was like Mark Sisson or somebody was yeah. like, dairy is like the second most inflammatory food to yep. humans behind gluten. It's true. It's yeah. true. And I'm type one diabetic, which is an inflammatory disease. It's an autoimmune disease. And yeah. so even though, dairy doesn't have carbs in it, it causes inflammation, which, yeah. So all, I'm very, yeah. I've studied a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to, good to have that in your <laughs> repertoire. You might have to have a side conversation. Yeah. You yeah. could interview me all day about health and I, I will talk like, to you yeah, about it. Yeah. We'll have it. to bring you back for our healthy eating <laughs> episode yes. that we're now going to do. Yeah. Yep. 
So we really wanted to bring you on, Whitney, because obviously as a financial planner mm-hmm. and you know we're in the real estate world, I think it's a huge part of people's wealth and how they can become wealthy or it should yep. just always in some way, shape or form become a part of their financial plan. Mm-hmm. And so we just wanted to get your obviously like expert situation uh, perspective mm-hmm. on how real estate can fit into people's health. So that's kind of the first question is how does, or how can real estate play a role in people's financial health? Yep. So real estate is a hard asset where it, so there's net worth and then there's liquid net worth, right? right. So mm-hmm. net worth is everything that you own. So that's cash investments, property, cars, jewelry, everything. Whereas liquid net worth is cash and investable assets that you can get to within just a couple days. Okay. So obviously any real estate that someone owns is a part of their total net worth. So it's a great long-term investment, a great long-term hold. And generally speaking, like if someone's looking at a first time home purchase and they either want to rent or buy, I'm like, just buy. Even if you want to leave, you could always rent it out when you leave. Typically. Typically. Typically, depending on scenarios. Depends, but I'd rather someone own than rent just because it provides that equity that they can build. And then, like I said, it's a great long-term investment compared to some other more flexible investments. Amen, sister. Yeah. You know, just going back to, I think it was the episode where I was talking about the financial component to this process. And Dina asked me, like, was there anything else that I felt I needed to share? And I said, if you aren't working with a financial advisor, you should. And Mm -hmm. that's probably the first stop shop before you even begin the process, before you go and you talk to your mortgage lender, before you even step foot into a home, if you're working with a financial advisor and you've got a really good um, landscape view of what your financial pieces look like, then you're going to feel so much more confident going into the process itself. So, Yeah, and when people hire me for financial planning and consulting, uh, oftentimes a lot of people's goals, one of their goals that we map out is property purchase. Mm -hmm. So that's like a big piece of people's plan oftentimes. And so we'll map out, okay, how much do you need to save? What's your goal for down payment? Yes. Is that realistic alongside your retirement, early retirement goal, for example? Yeah. So yeah. making, cause it's competing goals. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's going to feed into someone's retirement picture, but you also need to make sure that you're saving enough into your investments as well. So it's not all property. Cause that's one sure. area where people who are really familiar with property, that's all they want to do, but that's of non-diversified portfolio. And that's not wise either. So it's just important to have a balance. I'm loving all of these terms that you're throwing out. So again, we're going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to sidebar some of these other conversations for a later point. But I think that this is a good segue into the next question that we had, which is how does someone know they're ready to purchase real estate from a financial planning standpoint? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? So enough money for a down payment, like I had mentioned before when you're doing goal planning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Minimum is what five percent ish, three percent. You could qualify for you know some programs which allow mm-hmm. for a smaller. But I yes. generally tell people try to get at least five percent. Yeah, smart. Um, I think smart. That's a good, especially like in this market with how competitive it is. Yeah. just having five percent will set you above 
the standard 3% person. Yep. And that's Definitely. for a primary home purchase. But then obviously for investment purchases yeah. is 20% typically, mm-hmm. especially if you already own property. So there's yeah. that as well. So, but cash is king. Um, and the more cash you can bring to the table, the more likely you are you're going to be able to purchase the real yeah. estate. And also, even if you don't want to put all the cash down, you'll have cash left over for repairs, which is super powerful. Yes. It's such a huge investment. And I oftentimes, you know, the, we both Dina and I can agree that we work with a diverse group of clients and clientele. And, you know, there are certain situations and scenarios where somebody is coming and they just, they want to live that American dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll air quote the American dream because it is what it is and it's not necessarily for everyone. However, um, it's, it is so important to have at least some, some sort of safety net, yep. if you will. Yep. Because uh, actually Dave Ramsey says this, he says that a house can be a great investment or the biggest burden of your life. Because yeah. if you do not have the cash to do the repairs and the maintenance, yeah. like it's terrible. Yeah. And I if s- you hate living there, in fact, yeah. it, you re- end up resenting it. Yeah. I wish you would have been in my life when we bought our first home yeah. because that was exactly our situation. Like, and we were even pre-qualified for or pre-approved for more than what we purchased our home for but it was a 1920s home that needed a lot of maintenance and a lot of repairs and it always felt like we were underwater on it like it's it was something that we didn't think about and we didn't know and it was right after the crash and so it was the bottom of the market and we're like yeah let's buy this will be a great deal and definitely something we did not think about so If you're in that position, know that you it is competing goals, but if you are prepared, it makes it so much easier. Yep, so the assets, having enough cash is is very important. That's one thing. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is income, right? So you mentioned being pre-approved, right? So I always tell people, okay, you were pre-approved for 300000 doesn't mean you should get a house for 300000 So right. don't max out your pre-approval because you need to look at your income and how much of your income is going to be going towards your mortgage payment. So Mm -hmm. that's something else that I like to take a look at. Is your cash flow healthy? Do you have a budget? Right? You shouldn't be buying a house if you don't have a budget. This Mm -hmm. is silly because that is a 30 year, 20 year, whatever obligation that is, doesn't go away unless you sell the house. And as we discussed at the beginning, it's very difficult to liquidate your home. So especially because you can't time what the price is, it could be a bad time to sell. So it really is a long-term view and you have to make sure you have enough cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that we touched on, you know, maybe a few things that, um, you know, could, could get a client or a client's wheel spinning on what they should be doing, what Mm -hmm. steps they should be taking. So what are, um, maybe a few other tips, two or three tips for people who are thinking about buying their first home in terms of savings or debt or, you know, I know we covered some of it, but maybe dive a little bit more into it. Yeah. It's tied into what we were just discussing. So I wanted to hit home again, just because you're pre-approved for 300,000 doesn't mean you should Mm -hmm. buy your house for 300,000. Having extra cash set aside for repairs. When I first bought my, because I have a house, I've been there for seven years Uh, I'm so glad that my loan officer was like, you could put more down, but maybe you shouldn't because Mm -hmm. you are going to want to fix up the house a little bit. And I said, okay. And I'm really glad that I listened to him because if I had put all that money down, I wouldn't have been able to replace the windows and other things. I would have been, I would have been able to do it. I was making enough, but it would have been a strain. So another thing to consider just because you're making a lot of money t- 
today doesn't mean you're going to be making a lot of money in five years, right? So you really have to consider your career track. And then because for me, for example, I was making six figures when I purchased. Then my income went way down because I went out on my own. Mm -hmm. And so this is just a little bit of a, a personal touch on it. But so after I bought my house, I got married a year later. Then I had a baby like... I had her within a year of getting married. Then I went out on my own. Then I got divorced. So, like, so many things changed in my life over such a short period of time. But because I was conservative and I did a 30-year mortgage rather than a Mm -hmm. 15-year, and because I still had some cash left over, I was able to barely make it, but I was able to make it with all those transitions. And so it's really important to look at beyond just today. That's probably the biggest tip that I can give people. Yeah. Bigger perspective, having a broader vision of what, you know... for lack of better words, maybe the ups and downs that could happen and that come with life because it's life. Like we want to think here and in the moment that everything is going to be pretty even keeled, but it's not always rainbows and butterflies. Life is not that way. No, it's not at all. I would say, yeah, like kind of going back to the pre-approval and budget stuff, like just my two cents of what I tell some couples a lot of times is just because you both have income and you can qualify on both that income. Qualify it, on one. Exactly. I tell that same thing. Yeah. So if you can buy a house on one person's income, yep. because you don't know what's going to happen, you know, you may decide to stay at home. You may lose your job. You There's so many variables. Yep. So if you're a couple looking at buying your first house, just get qualified on one person's income. You yep. can still both be on the title, both be exactly. on the loan, yeah. but you don't have to stretch yourself that far. Yep. And then another piece regarding savings is, and this is what I always am, am, I embed this within financial planning with home purchases, is after you put your down payment, I still want you to have three to six months of expenses in the bank. Yeah. So that way you can have an emergency fund because the emergency fund is the foundation of any person's financial plan. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. So that kind of does kind of bring us to outside of real estate. What are other ways people can plan for their financial future? And Mm -hmm. I think we have touched on that as well. Budgeting. Yep. Emergency Mm -hmm. fund. Uh, So there's really four cornerstones of your financial plan and your financial life. So, and you've really your financial story. So it's what first Assets and liabilities. So that's like your home, your mortgage, mm-hmm. your budget, and your income and cash flow and tracking all that. And that's like today. That's what your accountant does or your bookkeeper does, yeah. right? So yeah. really focusing on today. Then we've got your protection piece. So planning for the inevitable. So that's things like if you were to get sick or if you were to get disabled or if you were to pass away. So things to protect yourself there are going to be disability insurance, life insurance, and making sure that you have those things. If people buy a home, they should have life insurance for the mortgage, so that would be paid off in the event of their death. So that's just like a checkbox after you buy a house. Yep. So there's protection. Then there's investments. That's number three. So that could be an investment property. It could be your IRA, uh, 401k. So that's setting up your investments for whether it's for retirement or your children's college, right? So that can be done through a myriad of different accounts that I won't go into all the details because it can get (laughs) very complicated. Uh, But it's essentially goals planning and setting up your investments for those goals. And then there's taxes and estate planning. So that's the fourth piece of your plan. That's making sure that we were talking about this before we came online is uh, making sure that you have your estate planning documents in place, making sure your house is in your will, making sure that you have guardianship for your kids, all those things, making sure your beneficiaries are set up, 
And then also with taxes, making sure that you are planning not only your taxes today, but in 20 years, how are your accounts set up? How will you be taxed when you retire? What if you decide to buy investment property? How will that be taxed? So right. it takes a team for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I, I kind of have a spur of a moment question. Yeah. When it comes to wills. hmm what you know? What's the t- what does the time frame look like for starting to think about and plan for that? You know, because well, we're yeah. all of us are in our thirties, mm-hmm. and I mean, is there ever too soon of a time? No. Now, let's say someone doesn't have any assets and they're really young mm-hmm. and like in their twenties, they should still have a power of attorney and healthcare directive. That's a part of a state plan. So that's allowing someone else to make financial decisions on your behalf if you are out of the country or incapacitated. That's a power of attorney. Then there's the health care directive. Do you want the plug pulled or not? So those are two pieces that are part of a state plan that everybody should have because anything can happen. I feel like that's been coming up a lot recently, and I'm like, where was this information when I was in my 20s? Because it's their horror stories of people because they just didn't know, and there's, you know, because different family members have different opinions or... Maybe mm-hmm. all these bills had to be paid, mm-hmm. but no one can call on your behalf. So that's what those things, everybody should do that. And then we were taught, and then also for like a will, that's for your assets mm-hmm. uh, or, and or your children. So if you have children, get a will. It's just, or if you have assets, because you, I assume you don't just want it to get stuck in a state in uh, probate court. Yeah, right. Because yeah. that's what happens if you don't have a will. It goes through probate court. And the average time of a state of assets being in probate court, if there's no will, is a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is really fruitful information. Not, not only am I learning something <laughs> yeah. right now, but I know everybody who's listening is going to be learning a ton of Good. information as well. So that's awesome. So cool. Um, do you have anything else that you want to piggyback off of that? No, I think that was like such good information. And I think it, (laughs) but it was at a level that people can understand it and take away from it. Like it wasn't down in the nitty gritty. It wasn't, yeah, like it was very, very helpful. And I just, like I keep saying, like I wish you would have been around like 10 years ago for me because Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're out there and you're like considering buying a house, this is such great information to have already in your mind going Mm -hmm. into it. And obviously we'll put all your contact information. So if people want to reach out to you directly and yeah, they can uh, get your help and assistance and probably dig into some of those pieces specifically for, for your situation. So yeah, I think it's, Awesome. I don't have anything else to add. Do you have anything else to add, Whitney? Well, if they do decide that, if anyone who's listening wants to reach out to me, know that the first meeting is always complimentary. There's no charge. It's just a, a introductory meeting to determine if we'd be a good fit, if it even makes sense mm-hmm. for them to hire me. So yeah. there's no shame, no fear. Just reach out if you have any inkling that you should. Um, I don't want people to feel like they shouldn't just because of money. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, I think that's a good segue into maybe any additional things that you want to add outside of that. Maybe how, um, how you work with your clients, what to expect when working oh, with yeah. a financial planner that's a good question. and some common hurdles. Yeah. So I work with my client, every financial planner and advisor is different. So this yes, is complicated. I can tell yeah. you that okay. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some of them don't charge a fee at all. And they just work off of commissions only, which isn't bad, right? Um, And then there's a combo. I'm a combo. 
Okay. So what I do is I work in two ways with clients. They can come to me and I hire and they hire me for the year on like a consulting level. Sometimes businesses or nonprofits will hire me on an hourly basis too, okay. just to give them some basic advice. Sure. But most of my financial planning clients will hire me for the year. Uh, and so we will go through and make sure I have all their information and gather it all. And then I will customize a financial plan for them specifically. Okay. So there's that way. And then there is the investment management way to work with me, which is where I manage your assets. And typically that's like a hundred thousand dollars or more Mm -hmm. if they only want to operate on the investment management level. Sure. But people can do combos too. Okay. Where if they don't have enough assets, but they have some, then they can hire me in a consulting level. Or if they just want investment management, that's fine too, right? But then yes. that would be $100,000 or more yeah. on that level. Okay. So I do both. And then I also do like life insurance, disability insurance, and long-term care insurance within somebody's plan, if it makes sense. Yeah. Which it probably makes sense for... More a, often than uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. Based off of um, how our conversation has flown... Um, flowed I don't know if there's anything else that I can think of I don't have anything else either okay thank you for having me well thank you so much we know you're a very busy woman you're a powerhouse we're so appreciative to have you on board with us and um, as we mentioned earlier we'll make sure to drop all of Whitney's contact information so that if there are any other questions that have um, you know come up from this then you can reach out to her she's a wonderful soul Wonderful. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to On a Mission, where our goal is to educate and inspire. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us to help spread the message. It takes 30 seconds to rate and review, then share this episode with your friends. Let's spread the love. Until the next episode, cheers to your mission. Bye. Bye.